Amen. Check. Check. Happy Father's Day. I, uh, <clears throat> I'm stoked to see my four kids tonight when I get home. Uh, <clears throat> I want to just introduce you to my family real quick, just so that you can see how amazing they are. Uh, this is my wife, Kate, and uh, we actually, I was thinking about it this morning. We came here when we were living on the East Coast. We drove all the way from Pennsylvania, and we came to do a worship night here I don't know, many years ago, seven, eight years ago, before you guys were ever in this building. Ten years ago. Was that when it was? Good night. Ten years ago. So we maybe had, like, none of these kids then. <laughs> so I guess a lot's changed since then. But um, these are, this is my squad. This is our, 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 our newest addition, our fourth and our last. Praise Jesus is uh, Zion David. He, we just dedicated him last month in Israel, and it's pretty amazing. He's, uh, we call him the monster child, monster baby. He's 98th percentile in height and weight. He was born to be a linebacker in the NFL. So let's just extend our hands to him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, man, I'm so excited to be with you guys. I, I just want to, first of all, just want to thank this church and and the past pastoral staff here and all the leaders for for just linking up with with our worship missions and prayer movement we we've been on this journey for the last 12 years and we've seen you know 300 furnaces of worship prayer ignited a- across the earth and it's just been so awesome to see uh, the lilies land here and this become a home and I just want to thank you guys for championing what we're doing around the world and I know uh, how many guys were here last night we had an amazing night of worship and part of our hillsides training school that that we do every year and so Man, and, and the other thing, I was just with your family, uh, some of your family up in Toronto uh, two months ago for Easter, and I'm just really thankful and grateful. I think it's a, a, appropriate on Father's Day to just give honor to this amazing uh, church movement that has really propagated and brought definition to the Father heart of God um, around the earth. And so let's just praise, come on, give a, give a thank you, clap to the Lord. I... Uh, I really do believe that, and, and I know several people because of this ministry that have really encountered an aspect of the heart of God um, that's changed their life. And I pray this morning that, we, that I would just be able to build upon that and, and hopefully add a little gas to the fire that's already burning. Amen. Um, I, I woke up and was praying. I, don't, I, I, I get the privilege to speak a lot, and I get the privilege to travel a lot. I was in New York City two nights ago in Times Square with just a rowdy group of wild, ravenous young people, and, and, and just so many stories of what God's doing around the world. In a couple days, I'm going to be traveling with my family to Africa. Please pray for us. Jeez, I was thinking about the, you know, I was looking at our flight itinerary. I'm like, every time I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, you know, it's like 30-something hours of travel with that crew right there. Um, this, uh, th- there's another picture. Throw up that other picture that I had, too. This is a cool one. Um, just a testimony. Uh, we actually, uh, this was the morning after their last day of school last week. And instead of waking up at 6.30 a.m., they woke up at 7.30. Come on. All the parents, amen. I mean... An extra hour of sleep, it's a big deal. And then, of course, they jumped into bed and tackled me and 
would not let me sleep any longer. Um, in fact, my wife actually thinks nowadays that I travel just to sleep. She's like, I'm literally convinced that you want to go on trips, and it has, you know, of course there's ministry and whatever, but you just want to sleep, don't you? And I'm like, well, um, I woke up this morning praying, okay, I want to... Just, God, give me something fresh. Give me a word for, for this community, for this congregation. And, you know, I, I'm not a can preacher kind of a guy. I don't have, like, one sermon that I just wear out everywhere I go. I really want to get, like, the heart of the Lord. And I do have themes and, 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 and revelations that I feel like I'm called to carry. But this morning I woke up and I had this, this strange memory that the Lord brought to my mind. And um, I grew up um, in the mountains of Montana. Um, I grew up, I had three sisters, no brothers, and, uh, and, and I just grew up in this adventurous lifestyle, you know, where I feel like my identity was kind of forged in the mountains. And this was before, like, you know, parents didn't leave their, let their kids leave their neighborhood, you know, and, and I don't blame parents these days. It's crazy out there. But uh, when I was growing up, it was just kind of like, I don't know, I guess a kid of the 80s, like, you're going to survive, you know. <laughs> I was the second to the second to the youngest, and you know how that is if your parents, like your first child, you're like, you bring disinfectant wipes everywhere, right? And you, you cover everything. By the last kid, you're like, you can eat dirt. Like, you're going to just survive. Like, I trust survival is in your lineage, you know? Um, so I grew up in the mountains. I had three sisters. Um, my wife, uh, we were high school sweethearts. We met in high school, and... She grew up, she had three sisters, and so we had no, no boys on either side of the family, and, and I cried out to the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm drowning in a sea of estrogen. <laughs> Raise me up from this. <laughs> no, I, I just was like, I wanted boys, right? Like, every man wants to have sons, like, and I just wanted sons. I'm not ashamed to say it. I wanted to have a son, you know, and, and I really felt like that the Lord was going to bring, like, 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 uh, like, I don't know if it's gender retribution or something, back to my, our lineage, <laughs> that he was going to even out the playing field, you know. And, and so, and so I, before I got engaged, before I knew that I was going to pop the question to my wife, I made her read a book that really helped bring definition to my life. And it was, it's, it's a book called Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. It's probably a book that would like be illegal these days. It's crazy because it, it, it defines masculinity. And I wanted to read a few, a few of these just quotes from the book. And my heart this morning, I... We are in a crisis in our nation and in the world. Fatherlessness is a crisis. Amen. Anybody with me? I mean, just look at the data. Look at the information. I was talking to my friend this morning, you know, who leads one of our communities in an inner city in, in, in an inner city church. And he was telling me, I, pray for me this morning when I, when I preach on, 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 on fatherhood because 80% of my congregation didn't grow up with a dad. How can I define and bring definition to something that they never had an experience? Or if they did, it was a really bad one. And uh, so anyway, I want to read a few quotes uh, from this. Uh, th these are just so good. Deep in his heart, every man longs for a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. You know, I felt like if I had more time this morning, I would literally just have clips of Gladiator and Braveheart <laughs> intertwined. In fact, I woke up this morning, I'm like, I want to watch those movies. I'm like, 
I'm like, you know, and maybe it's because, you know, my wife, she's like a rom-com girl, you know, that she just wants to, like, go to sleep happy. Every, everything's got to resolve. Everything's got to be, like, great. And I just, I just have this groan for, like, action, you know, and wildness. Um, flip, to the ne- uh, flip to the next one. Uh, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive because what the world needs are men who have come alive. Benjamin Franklin has an interesting quote. He said that most men die from the neck up at age 21 because they quit dreaming. I believe this morning the Lord's going to restore dreams to the men in this room. Amen. Adventure with all its requisite danger and wildness is a deeply spiritual longing written into the soul of men. I want to read this uh, kind of sobering statement. Um, there's an a, a, a American Psychological Association, which is a, a very large organization that issues guidelines uh, for mental health professionals uh, that work with men and boys. And uh, this, this was a massive uh, uh, paper and, and, and thesis that was recently released um, that gives guidelines uh, for psychologists across the U.S. It has 120,000 members, and uh, most of these are practicing psychologists. It has an annual budget of $115 million a year. And the documents that they create carry uh, scientific authority and are very influential in creating policy for public institutions. So uh, in this 30,000-word document that was recently released... Uh, pretty much the gist of this, uh, of, of the 30,000-page document, was is that masculinity is a bad thing. Traditional male qualities like courage, self-reliance, competitiveness, stoicism, personal ambition, and love for adventure are, physio- are psychologically harmful. This is the APA. This is the ma- massive, most massive organization that sets guidelines and standards. Is basically prophesying and declaring to a generation, men cannot be men. Fathers cannot be fathers. No wonder we're in a crisis. There's a rise of, of really fake feminism as well. It's not true. It's not real. It's the devaluing of manhood to raise up womanhood. Why can't women be women and men be men? Come on, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to touch all the buttons this morning. Because I believe, like, and, and listen, I, this hits really host, close to home for me. You know, we recently moved to California, which, you know, is a very hard place to live. For starters, we have no sweet tea. Really, I mean, I, we, are, we are in the barren land of sweet tea. Like, you ask for sweet tea, people just look at you like, what are you talking about? Like, what is this that thou asketh? You know, it's like, and, and I'm, before I leave today, I'm going to just, I'm going to drown my sorrows in sweet tea. That's the first thing I do when I step into Carolina. You know, I spent years in high school in Virginia. And, 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 and so we have no sweet tea. The second thing that's really tough is we have like the highest tax rate in all of human history. But the most intense thing is we're in the midst of this crazy, like, cultural and societal war that attacks the very fabric and foundation of biblical Judeo-Christian values. I.e., in California school systems, you're not allowed to, like, really identify male and female. 
There's a war right now. Kids can decide what they want to be any day of the week. And you have to empower them in that belief. It's like my son, he's four years old. He, he you know, my, my, my little girl, my girl, she's eight. She's my oldest. And she, you know, she's gotten to the realization she's not going to have a sister. She has three boys. She wrestles. She's, she's wild. But every now and then she tries to con one of them into play dress up. So my boy showed up with, he knocked on my door and he showed up with a, a dress on and just acting really, really dumb because his sister made him do that. And I looked at him and laughed and then he took off the dress and he stomped on it and I think he even farted and then ran away. <laughs> now am I going to tell him, well, now that you identify, I mean, it's crazy the world we live in. You know, and as Christians, like, I am just passionate this morning about seeing men rise up and be men again. And fathers rise up and be fathers. And for us in the church to have a value. Um, I want to read this quote. It just blew me away. This is from a secular psychologist. Boom. Beam me up, Scotty. We are turning against boys and forgetting a simple truth that the energy, competitiveness, and corporal daring of normal, decent males is responsible for, what of much of what, for much of what is right in the world. Think about the pictures of the men at Normandy. 17, 18-year-old boys. I think the stats are as 80 to 90% of them died facing Hitler. I think it was uh, close to a million Americans died in a continent that was not their own, fighting an evil that was not in their land. And because of it, the world was freed from that terror. I'm scared of this generation if we have people that would face that in our day. You know, we, we spent a lot of time in Iraq, and, and, and uh, I'm going to share with you some stories. And, man, these stories are going to light you up this morning about what God is doing over there. But my favorite thing was when I, you know, our, our, we had a crew in Iraq, and we had been there before ISIS, during ISIS, and now after ISIS. We were one of the few organizations that remained on the ground. And every time I would fly into Iraq, I loved walking on the plane, you know. And it's always like all Iraqis, me who doesn't look Iraqi, and then a couple, like, huge, overly large men with beards that were from Texas. <laughs> you know, they had little Velcro stuff all over them and tactical gear, and they're trying to sit in, and you're like, fit in. You're like, who are you? Well, they're Navy SEALs. Rushing in, as everyone is rushing out, they're rushing in. And I don't know if you know the history of Iraq. I mean, it, it, but but... <laughs> the moment this, this, this administration came into power, like they were, they were, un, they unleashed the Navy SEALs, which single-handedly crushed ISIS. And because of them freeing ISIS, you know, millions of Iraqis were freed. Now, we don't even have a value in our culture for that anymore. You know, and I, I man, I want some like millennial, like hipster kids that are like, you know, drinking some crazy Kool-Aid of the media to come over with me and hug the families of people that are freed because of our Navy SEALs. But the point is, is we're in a day where there's a war on masculinity and there's a war on this God-given call for fathers to be men. 
I want to bring it to Scripture. 1 Corinthians 4.15. Let's read that together. This uh, is a really profound verse. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Let's read this charge in 1 Kings 2, 1 to 4. This is from David. And I love this man. Like, Here's what I love about David. He models what manhood looks like. You can write the most intimate love songs that have ever existed on hum- humanity. Like, I don't know if you guys know this, but the book of Psalms is still looked at to be like the standard of poetic and artistic creativity on the earth. They study it at Harvard, at Princeton, at Yale. They study David's Psalms. He can write those Psalms of devotion, of love, of depth, and yet he can go out and kill the lion and the bear. David can carry both an intimate lover of Jesus and a warrior. Thereby modeling what it looks like to walk in true masculinity and manhood. Let's read this. This is what he says to Solomon. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. Man, I wish I could just watch this, replay this. Like He's like, son, I'm going to die. Come here and let me tell you what's up, you know. And he says, I'm about to go to the way of all the earth. And he said, be strong, act like a man. (laughs) This is the Bible. Like, right? This is like the offensive to like our culture. He says, hey, don't forget, be strong and be a man. And observe what the Lord your God requires. He, he, bear, he, he uh, like basically spells out and describes what being a man looks like. Observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. So he gives this charge to his son. He says, listen, it's time for you to step up into your manhood. And I, I feel like, you know, we're living in a generation where many of us didn't have fathers, or, or if we had them, they were bad representations of, of our true father. And we can either whine and complain, and we can use those, those past uh, moments of trauma to, to basically give excuses for all of our faults in life, or we can just become the father that we dreamed of. Amen. Are you guys with me? We can become the father. I, I had a, in, in my life, one of the, about nine years ago, I, I lost my, my father to, to cancer, and it was just traumatic. It was a brain tumor, and it happened so suddenly. And, and I had this three-month period in my life where I lost my dad, and then three months later, I became a father. And I lived in this tension where my wife's belly kept getting bigger, and I knew that at any moment I was going to be a father, but yet I had just lost my father, who was a good dad. And I had to make a decision in that moment, like, I can either live in the pain of not having a father or step up and believe that him, my father, will show me what to do and show me how to be a dad for this baby that's inside of my wife's stomach. It doesn't mean that I don't ache for my dad. I do. I wish he was here today. But I know that the Lord's empowered us even in 
the gap of not having one, we can always look to him. Amen? We can always look to him. He's a father to the fatherless. As I was praying this morning, I was asking the Lord, okay, God, there's so many different things, right? You talk about fatherlessness. You talk about the need to have men rise up. And there's so many issues and cultural things that you could point out. But I said, what can you unlock today in this church? What's one thing, God? Because, I mean, I could hit 50 things, but, but then we would miss it. Maybe there's one thing this morning that you want to unlock. And the men in this room that would awaken our hearts to step into a new season of fathering and manhood. And I felt like the Lord said this. That he wanted to break spiritual boredom. Men are increasingly disengaged from church. You, you read the statistics, it's very sobering. I send missionaries all over the world. The missions force across the globe right now is 80% women. There is a vacuum of male leadership. There's a vacuum of men that are, sta- that are rising up to take their place as spiritual fathers over a generation. And I feel like a big part of it has to do with men not being interested in church. Men not being interested in the adventure of following God. I love how, you know, when Jesus, when he called his disciples together, his commissioning to them was, was pretty savage, right? He said, hey, listen, um, by the way, all of you are going to die extremely horrible deaths. Just FYI. Uh, but it's going to be so much fun. And I'm going to commission you out as sheep among wolves. Sounds pretty fun, huh? And, and you're going to go, and you're not going to, and if you meet a man and you, and you like him, then leave a blessing, and don't bring any bags with you. Don't bring any supplies with you. Just go. Come on, this is a wild adventure. Keep thinking of the, you know, think of Stephen Curtis Chapman's song, this is a great adventure. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's my 80s upbringing, you know, it's like, but, but, But literally, like he commissioned the disciples. He commissioned them into a life of wild adventure. Shipwrecks and storms and persecution and, 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 and literally running from, gover- from government oppression and, and hiding in clefts. And the whole life was adventure. And we've reduced the call of the gospel down to men sitting for three fast and three slow songs and occasionally going to a men's barbecue. Guys, we are made for wildness. Cue Gladiator right now. The scene where he's like in in the ring. You know, it's like we are made to be deliverers. We are made with strength and courage to stand up to oppression. I want to share with you the really cool. We have a project that we started in India. And uh, we started it. We... Been, I've been going to India since I was 16 years old. I've gone, I don't know, probably 25 times. And I have like a love-hate relationship with the nation because I get sick every time I'm there. It's like if I want to lose weight, I'm like, yeah, I'll go to India, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but we have projects all across India. And the more that we begin to plant worship and prayer furnaces, our heart begin to burn uh, because we kept encountering a social injustice. And we kept encountering, you know, yes, massive revival. 25,000 people are getting saved every day in that nation. It's pretty soon going to surpass China as the fastest growing revival in the history of the world. So I hope you guys like curry. Because, I mean, you better get used to it. 
you know, and, and the Holy Ghost is moving powerfully across India. But we, we kept encountering in the villages where we would plant these furnaces and we kept encountering kids that were caught in child prostitution, temple prostitution. From the time they were little, they were made to do heinous sexual acts with Hindu priests. They were chained. They were enslaved. They were put in cages. We kept meeting children that were stuck in child labor camps. They were forced to, to mine and do, I mean, you've probably seen some of the movies that have come out of children caught in child labor camps. And, and we just couldn't stay silent. And so we began to raise up a special task force of wild men on motorbikes that would go into these places and that would rescue these kids. I mean, you know, like, like the people that run these places, prostitution rinks and that run labor camps, like they're not just going to let anybody walk in here like a, a guy, you know, this is not the picture, you know, you see in the nursery, like Jesus is like petting the lamb and he like looks really feminine and it's like, oh, Jesus is so sweet. We never see pictures of Jesus with a quart of whips. I want someone to draw that picture. It said that he showed up in the temple in a fit of rage. That's your Jesus. Like your Jesus, that doesn't fit our stereotypical view and our culture of what we think is Jesus. But the first act that Jesus did (laughs) was made a court of whips. Like he released an act of violence. And I promise you, people were probably injured. You guys with me? Like... People were probably injured as he went into the temple and he tried to bring uh, right every wrong in that place. And so anyway, we, we send these guys in and they go in in tactical gear. They show up and they rescue kids out of these horrible, hellish places. And we bring them in and recently we've been able to rescue 1,000 children. Isn't that amazing? Uh, there, there's a lot more on this. We have you know, pamphlets out there. Uh, if you want to join up to, we have about 380 of them sponsored right now, and we need, we need to get the rest sponsored, but there's pamphlets if you want to be a part of that. But anyway, uh, so we've rescued these children. Most of them have never had dads. They've, they've never had moms. They've been sold by their families into slavery, into oppression, into sexual abuse. And, and we've come in, and it's taken wild men that are willing to risk to face these things. They go in on motorbikes with all their gear on and they just rip kids out of there. And I'm like, this is what men are called to do. Like this is, this is what we're born for, these moments, you know. And, and, and recently we celebrated, uh, we celebrated in India because kids like this, all this, all this child is known as sexual abuse, all he's known as prostitution. Well, guess what? Last, uh, a few months ago, he was rescued. And not only was, did he ever have his first class of school ever. We got him his little backpack and his little note cards. And we got him little pens. And they were so geeked out. We have all the videos of it. But more importantly, we started the whole day of school off by getting all the kids in one room and seeing God baptize them with the Holy Spirit. And what many psychologists and people would say would take a lifetime of counseling to rid them from all of the trauma God can do in a moment with his presence. And we believe that these rejects of society and these ones that that, that culture has spit upon and forgotten, we believe these are the next leaders of revival in India. Moving on in Iraq, 
It's another project we have going on, and um, we have a team over there right now, actually in Iraq, and I'll be over there in a few months, was just there in April. We bring massive, you know, we do fundraisers, and I, in April we brought $100,000 over there to the residents, uh, the, the former residents that lived in Mosul that were all under ISIS control for three years. They're basically in an ISIS prison and they were indoctrinated and the kids were, were indoctrinated to be jihadist uh, soldiers. And their number one enemy was, was American Christians. That's who they were taught to hate the most. And then all of a sudden we show up, the very enemy they were taught to hate, we're the first ones bringing love and food and aid and support. We brought musicians, we bring musicians over there all the time. One of the most profound things we love to do is to invade their places of pain, invade their places of, of where they've been tortured, where they've been abused, where they have the most heinous stories of what ISIS has done to them. And then we bring a guitar. We go, God, we don't even know where to start. We're just going to start with worship. We're just going to believe that worship and joy in your presence can bring a deliverance, can bring healing. And I'm telling you, God has shown up in phenomenal ways. We are seeing a harvest of souls. Muslims are turning to Jesus by the tens of thousands right now. You can give up a clap for that. So if you're ever bummed out, you know, and maybe you're caught in traffic and, you know, you're just, you know, drinking your Chick-fil-A sweet tea, like with that next sip, just think millions of Muslims are coming to Jesus. <laughs> There's never been a greater day to be alive. This is a line of refugees waiting for the food and the aid that we bring. What's amazing is as we meet their physical needs, I think we brought like 100,000 pounds of flour that we shipped in from Turkey, and we've just done wild things. And uh, every time that we bring them and we meet their physical needs, it opens their hearts for us to meet their spiritual needs. They want to know why we, the enemies they've taught to hate, are the first ones showing up to help them. And it's simple. We just say, it's Jesus. Most of the time, in places like this, we talk about Jesus and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that the man in white that's been walking around our tents? Is that the man in white that visit us, visited us in the ISIS prison? Jesus is revealing himself all across the Middle East right now in phenomenal ways. This is us <laughs> trying to pretend like we're good at soccer, which we're not, but... We can at least roar, you know. There's some things with like, with, you know, getting back to manhood, like, you know, roaring always works. <laughs> I had to teach my sisters this. They never really dealt with like boys before because it's just all girls in their world. And they would try to come to my house and they would be like, um, you know, come up to my two-year-old and be like, how was your day, you know. My two-year-old would be like, rah, you know, it's like, <laughs> like, I'm like, no, no, boys don't want to have conversations. Like, wrestle with them, tickle them, run with them, like, roughhouse with them. Then you can start to talk to them. Anyway, just a tip for some of you. So, so we, uh, we, we get the chance to roar, roar with them and play soccer with them. And it's amazing how even, even though we don't speak Arabic and even though we don't know their language and even though we're from two opposite backgrounds, it's amazing how, how what... Uh, how contagious joy is in this environment and how they can recognize joy and they can recognize hope. I want to turn to a verse and, and then I, I just want to pray this morning. I feel like God, 
Turn to Ephesians 3 if you can. I'll tell you this funny story right here. This, we, are, we took some, um, we did some music videos. We thought it'd be really fun. I was releasing a record and we thought we should, you know, everyone does like music videos in like cool warehouses and like places. I was like, let's do something in a rock, you know. Let's do one in a refugee camp. Let's do one. So we found this building right here that was literally used to be a former ISIS compound. And uh, uh, ISIS, uh, it was on the top of a hill of a village, and they used it to really just release death and genocide against the Kurds and the Yazidis. And, and then the U.S. bombed it, and uh, they had to remove the cache of weapons that were in there. And so I walked up to this old building, and I thought this would be a great place to do a music video, sing about the redemption and the healing of God over the nation. And so we were here, and we got the video crew out, and we started to film. And literally, like, two minutes after we, we, did the, we finished the song and did the last, uh, last take, we heard this in the air, like, really close to where we were. And I brought 15 people with me on this trip from Bethel Music. And literally, they, I had to convince them all they were not going to die. Like, none of them had been to the Middle East. They all thought they were going to die. It was like classic American thing, you know. And I'm like, you're not going to die. And then the moment I heard this, kick, 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 I was like, oh, God, maybe we are going to die. You know, it's like, and, and we, so the moment that happened, I picked up my guitar. We started running. This is what, this is the picture. And I, I, I crawled over the building to the edge of the hill to see where this was coming from. And it was two Arab dudes. And they were like, hey, kick, 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 what's up? You know, they were waving. <laughs> They were literally just coming to greet us. <laughs> Hashtag life in the Middle East, you know? It's like, you're angry, you shoot AKs. You're happy, you shoot AKs. It's just how it works, you know? Um, so th this happened right in the, in the middle of that. But aren't these just the most beautiful, precious kids? This is our, our van over there. We have a, a home, a, a house, a big house and a van, and... Uh, we're raising money to buy another van. This, this uh, van, we call her Tigress, is her name for the Tigress River that runs through Iraq. Um, she fits about eight Americans or 24 Iraqis. <laughs> True story. Um, I want to show you guys a video this morning that's gone viral around the world. Um, and then I'm going to pray. But before I do that, I want to read this verse in Ephesians. Because I do believe um, God wants to break off spiritual boredom. I believe that for the men in this room, I just have this feeling that things are going to get exciting and fun again. That God wants to reveal to you. And I mean, I mean, you can still be a dad. Like I made a joke earlier. Like I'm, I, I'm like, I'm like becoming all. I'm like. Literally fitting the stereotype of a dad these days. It's kind of weird. Like, I'm so particular about my yard. I, I like all I want to wear in life is comfortable shoes. <laughs> Any dads with me? Like, like it's like, it, it's literally like classic. Like, I, I just, I love grilling out. Like, I don't know all the things. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm becoming my dad, which is great. But Ephesians 3, I feel like the Lord gave me this as a key to unlock spiritual boredom. I'm going to read this, Ephesians 3, verse, uh, verse 18. This comes from the Passion Translation. It says, Then you'll be empowered to discover what every Holy One experiences 
the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all of its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measure that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request. God, so good. Your most unbelievable dream, and he will exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all. For his miraculous power constantly energizes you. So Paul is basically saying, he's writing to the church, he's like, listen, you want to know the key to not be bored as a Christian? Geek out every day on the heights and the wits and the depth. Spend time dreaming. Like, guys, we are never, it's like, man, you look, I look at the older generation and I'm jealous because in the history of the Bible, the greatest dreams came true in the last days. We have this weird thing in our society where it's like, you know, we get old and we start kind of like taking our foot off the gas and we kind of chill out and then we get a camper and we go fishing on the lake and whatever. Go fishing, get a camper, I don't care. But, but it's, it's not about retirement, it's about energizing. It's about refirement. It's about, it's about that the greatest dreams of God always happen in our last days. Look at Abraham, look at Moses. Look at Paul. Look at those throughout history. We're never supposed to stop dreaming with God. We're never supposed to stop geeking out on his ability to do exceedingly abundantly beyond our wildest imagination. And I just believe that there's so much more that's in store. Not just for the men, for the women too. But in this room, I feel like there's a re-energizing of this godly masculinity that he wants to awaken his bride into. Maybe your calling is to go and rescue kids in India. Like, come with us. We'll take you. Bring your gear. Like, let's go, you know. Come with us to the war zone. Like, like do something like that. Maybe, maybe, maybe you can. Maybe you can take a break and do something like that. But maybe not. Maybe your calling is to, is to reach out in your neighborhood or reach out in your community or do something you've never done before. We just have to keep moving. We can't get stuck. Christianity is not stagnant. It's ever increasing. It's ever growing. It's ever moving. I'm encouraging all my friends right now, just in this season where I'm like, just try something. Even in worship, the other night at church at Bethel, I'm like, I was just getting frustrated probably with myself because I'm just like, I don't want to just do a predictable song list. We got a great band. I know we can crush it. I know it's great. I want to do something we've never done. I want to get caught up in wildness. I want to be like the three chord, you know, youth group worship leader that was way out of his mind. I knew three chords and I didn't care. That's all I needed. <laughs> I, did, I did a worship thing with Martin Smith. He's a huge hero from Delirious. And we were in Dubai together a year or two ago. And I told him, I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry. Like, I took all of your songs 
and I reduce them to three chords. And any chords that you played that I didn't know how to do, I just crossed them out. But just the passion that we had and the energy that we had and the excitement that we had before we knew all that we knew now, how hard it was going to be and how difficult it was going to be and what if it doesn't work and self-preservation and it pushes us into being so safe. Men are not supposed to live safe. <laughs> Normandy. You look throughout history, I mean, I just, I can't get my mind off these, like, Navy SEAL dudes leaving their families and just walking into the midst of ISIS and just crushing. I'm like, this is our calling to be warriors, to fight for what is right. To raise daughters that know what true men are like. So they don't go try to I don't even want to go there. My daughter's only eight. I'm already scared. I want to show you this video. Um, this went viral uh, last week. <laughs> totally, we weren't planning on, on, on this at all. I did an interview, um, and the, the guy did an interview, mentioned that he works with Fox News, and I just thought, you know, whatever. And this wound up on the front page of the faith and values section of their global website. And uh, which I think it's funny that a mainstream news outlet would put out a story like this. I mean, this is like the news that you never hear, right? I mean, so many Christians in America, I feel like we, we're allowing the media to bring the narrative of what the world's like. And they constantly, guess what, pick stories of fear, oppression, you know, fear, bad news sells. And unfortunately, we just eat it up. And so when they put out this story about a Christian that we met in a refugee camp was burned alive three times by ISIS and survived, I was shocked. And this video has been viewed thousands, hundreds of thousands of times around the world. And I just felt like, man, this could be like a great, like, poof, energizing thing for us this morning. Then I can pray over you and we can go get sweet tea and watch Gladiator. Or something. And celebrate, you know, that God is releasing a new installment of what men and fathers look like in a generation. So I want to play this, this video. And um, just, just to give you a little background, we were in a refugee camp. Uh, this, was, this literally happened as you see it. It wasn't a pre-recorded thing. It wasn't a rehearsed thing. We were walking through. And I love moments like this because, you know, sometimes as, as, as missionaries and as, as believers, we can kind of come up with this weird, like, you know, American savior mentality where we show up and we're like, you know, we kick down the door and we're like, the kingdom of God can come now. We're here, you know, and it's like, God's like, ah, I've been moving here for a while. I have 2,000 years of prophetic history here. Actually, the city of Mosul is the ancient city of Nineveh, and Jonah came and brought the greatest revival we've ever seen. So if anything, we're just redigging that well again, you know. But stories like this really help us become aware to how God's moving around the world. So go ahead and play that. The team had barely arrived at the camp before meeting a Yazidi man who had been imprisoned and tortured by ISIS for two months. 
The Yazidi people are Iraq's most persecuted ethnic and religious minority. But what he had to share surprised us all. ISIS make him convert to Islam. Jesus appeared twice to you in a dream because he loves you. When they found out that he was following Jesus. Even they once, last time they put at 20 gallons of, of uh, uh, gas or oil. Kerosene over him. Over him? Yes. And even they burned me and I didn't burn. They tried to burn yes, him. Yes, and he didn't. And he didn't burn. Yes. We want to pray for him. Yes. يا رب والروح باسم الرب يسوع المسيح الحق اهم شيء والله اني يعني انا احبكم يعني من كل قلبي Our conversation with the Yazidi man was our first encounter with the supernatural in Iraq but it wouldn't be our last Crazy I mean we didn't ask for that he just came up and Is that not wild <laughs> It sounds pretty adventurous. It's so funny, too, how nonchalant they are. Yeah, they tried to burn me three times. They tried to stone me. But I, I made it. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, after, after that shot, I was like, okay, now you need to pray for me. Like, I need some more wildness in my life. Come on, let's stand up. I want to pray. Um, I, know, I know for some of you, it, it's, it's difficult to even have an image and a picture of what A, f- a father looks like. And this is one of the reasons I'm so grateful for, for churches like this and communities like this that, that promote what a true loving father looks like. You know, I, like we need that even more. And I feel like this morning is just another installment of that. And, and you know, I, I specifically just believe for for the fathers in this room, I just, God, I was just thinking of my sons this morning, you know. They're just so wild and crazy and they're not old enough to have really encountered much disappointment. They bounce back pretty quick, you know, but they're, they're coming into a world and a culture that's warring against them. Just like it is for, for women, same thing. They're coming into, they're going to step into a, a day and age where everything is going to be questioned. And, and, and I have the opportunity, and it's, it's like 
the most sobering thing, to be honest with you. Like, I, I can, like, lead worship in stadiums and preach and do stuff and lead movements. But when it comes down to, like, I am responsible for these four human beings. <laughs> I'm like, ah! That's what keeps me praying all the time. Like, I, I'm responsible for how they view the world and how they view God and, like, and, and, and of course, you know, like, they have to choose at some point their own way and their own belief in their own life. But, but there's, there's, I, I think people underestimate the pressure that's on fathers. And, and I just believe this morning that the Lord just wants to come and just in his kindness and his goodness and his nearness. And he wants to call us as men back into the wildness we were meant to be back into risk, back into courage, back into dreaming again. I'm just looking in this room. The dreams of God in the hearts of men in this room are profound. What if we were all dreaming and and living up to our full potential of the dreams of God? One of the most primary uh, notable Statements about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is not cooler worship CDs. It's not more followers on social media, but it's that your old men would dream dreams and your young men would see visions. And I just believe that God wants to give another, another just release of dreams. Come on, just, just all the men, especially, I just want you to raise your hand. I want to pray. I don't know, I feel especially in this service that, 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 there's, that there's dreams in the hearts of some of the men in here that you feel like you're too old and it's too far gone and you missed it. And I want to speak over you this morning. You're not. It's not over yet. You're still breathing oxygen. You're still alive on planet Earth. And that, there, and that, that God wants to release massive amounts of hope to your spirit and courage to your heart this morning to step back in the arena with your sword. (laughs) This is what you're called to do. This is who you're called to be. Lord, I thank you this morning for, for fathers. I thank you this morning, God, that you, you're raising up a true embodiment of what fatherhood looks like. I thank you that you're restoring godly masculinity to the church again. I thank you, Lord God, that you are, you're, you're breaking down all of, of the barriers and the hindrances that have kept back the, the men of God. And I say this is the greatest hour for the men in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the greatest hour for men at this church. This is the greatest hour. Like, like Billy Graham said, it's like when, when a man... When a man steps up with a courageous spirit, the spines of every other man are stiffened. We pray today would be a day where men stand up with courage. I remember standing up, I'll never forget this moment, promise keepers, with my dad, Washington, D.C., in the stadium there. And I remember gathering. I'll never forget the sound of 40,000 men worshiping. It's like all of hell was shaking. Dads were there with their sons and we were just singing our hearts out and I was looking around at at the vision of what it means to be a man, a wholehearted devotion to Jesus. God, that marked my life.
We pray for another movement like that in our generation. Another movement like that in our day where the redefinition of what a man looks like is wild abandonment to Jesus. Thundering voices, shaking, shaking the very gates of hell with our praise. <laughs> we thank you, Father. We're going to have the ministry team come down here. And, and if, if you're here this morning and you need ministry in any kind of capacity, and you can come and, and receive it. And I, I want to mention, too, we have several books uh, that are out there. All, you know, we, we're raising tons of money right now for our projects. And so all of our, the proceeds from all of these Books and, books and resources go to our missions program. So just, I would encourage you, these are really, really great resources. Uh, this book right here, Fire and Fragrance, is being translated and been translated into a dozen languages. Gives really the framework of our organization. Um, we have some new CDs out there. How many of you guys have heard of the Victory album that we released at Bethel? Uh, it's just gone around the world. I have a new album called Wild. This is my Davidic intimate uh, sitting on the hillside with my harp album called The Things We Did at First. Um, really special one for me. And then if you want to sponsor a child, uh, th this will be back there as well. But just on your way out, just visit that and, and connect with us, engage with us, with the burn, with what we're doing here. Thank you for being a part of that. We want to see that fire begin to grow. I am passionate about the college campuses in this town, specifically the Tar Heels. Praise Jesus. Tar Heels, let's go. No, but all of the campuses, I just am passionate to see God move. And so engage with us and, and we will keep going for it. We're going to keep stirring the fires of worship and prayer. Amen.